What's up? I'm B, and whether you are watching this on YouTube or listening to the podcast, I want to say welcome, and I hope you are having an amazing day. Today, we are covering part two of the Freeform documentary, The Deep End, about Teal Swan. And before we get into what happened in part two or episode two, I want to read a response from the Q&A section on Spotify. Um, I talked about this in an Instagram story, but basically with YouTube, you know, you can leave a comment. I can respond to it. I don't always have the time to respond to every single comment that I get, but I try my best. However, on podcasts, there is no comment section really. And so whenever I post a new video or podcast on Spotify, I will be including a little Q&A box where I will ask you a question. That way you can share your perspective and your opinion and we can still interact that way and have it feel somewhat like a community over there. And so at the beginning of this video, I did want to read one of the responses that I got in that Q&A tab. Lexi said, I think Teal A is manipulative, pathological liar, and B runs a cult. I can hear the narcissistic rage when she feels her control is being challenged. She hates critical thought. And I agree with parts of this. Like when Teal was getting challenged in the first video in that clip that I showed you, she didn't blow her top. She didn't like scream at the person who was just asking her if there's anyone she respects enough to hold her accountable. Um, she, you know, she didn't like lose her cool, but you could tell she was very angry. Like it was simmering underneath that somebody would have the audacity to question her. That's just how it felt to me. And then I do think it's interesting that you said she runs a cult because that's what gets explored a little bit more in episode two. Now, like I said, this is part two. I am watching the freeform documentary, The Deep End, and going through episode by episode and then bringing you a breakdown of what happened in each episode, as well as sharing my opinions. And so if you have not seen part one, I would highly recommend going back and watching that first. It will be linked down below in my description boxes. So uh, feel free to exit out of this video, watch that, and then come back to hear all about what happened in episode two. And something that I just want to point out right off the bat is I feel like in the first episode, we saw a lot of people saying amazing things about Teal, and then we saw Teal behaving badly. You know, there were some parts where she was presented in a good light, but there was also a lot of footage of her, um, you know, being angry or saying negative things or tearing Blake down, who is her uh, head of operations. And then in episode two, I noticed a lot of the footage of Teal was presented in a lot more favorable way. But then in the interviews and people who are talking about her, they are saying negative things. So it was really interesting to see that dichotomy and how it played out. Now, episode two opens with a video of Teal from the past saying, quote, in 2012, I founded a company called Teal Eye. TLI's job is to carry out my vision, but it's not just my vision. It's a vision that many on this earth share. You could fit all of these things, which I see for this world under one title, positive world change. My intention is to build a company that is so large and so unstoppable that nothing can come up against it. A company whose intentions are so pure that not even the people who created the company, not even the executives, the CEOs, the directors can come up against it. My joy on this planet is carrying out that vision, and so I will. Have a good week. 
end quote. That's the only clip that we get of hearing about TLI's vision so far, but I do just want to read to you a little bit more from the tealswan.com website where the vision is shared in more detail, and I'll also link it down below because I won't read the whole page, but in the website, uh, Teal says, or Teal writes, Quote, I have deliberately formed this company in a rather unusual way. It does not pay anyone a salary, not even me, the owner of the company. Everyone who is working with TLI, including myself, earns their personal income separate from being paid directly by the company. Let me tell you how this works. Let's say someone has developed a cost-effective way to get health food into school, but they do not have the money to start the program and no one is paying attention to them yet. The TLI umbrella will then help them fund their idea and help them get the attention that their endeavor needs. The people who brought up the idea will make their money directly from their particular idea. The only risk they take is believing in their idea enough to really take a chance at making it work. Like any normal investor, TLI will be making a small percentage of the income that they generate. That money will then be turned around and go towards other programs, centers, or ideas and process repeats itself. That's how it's worded. It took me a few tries to read it because I kept trying to insert the word the process, but she wrote process repeats itself. If you do the math, this company will soon build to the point where it is one of the wealthiest companies in the world, except it will be unbeatable, end quote. I've ruminated on this and I still don't quite understand how the person who like in this example who has the food to give to the schools makes money if like the school pays them or like the district would pay like they would pay a normal vendor for lunches. I'm not sure. I'm not a business guru. So I maybe I'm just like missing something that's very obvious in here. If you have any insight to that, please tell me. But I just, you know, it's worth noting that Teal says in her business, nobody gets paid a salary and money is apparently generated from ideas, I guess. Who knows? This will be linked down below, though, so you can read the entire thing. And Tia later does say that the current way she brings in money is through her workshops. And obviously, Teal is living off of that money. Teal has her community, her inner circle that lives with her. She travels for things. She hosts live events. She has a book. And so Teal is making money. She's not living in like a ramshackle commune. Her home that she lives in throughout the course of this documentary anyway, is very, very nice. And this is something I didn't really mention very much in the first episode, but Teal is a striking woman. She is very beautiful, and it's clear that she takes care of herself and takes pride in her appearance. She's typically seen wearing like long flowing dresses. There's a lot of beads and bedazzled things that she wears on stage. And so obviously she pays money to take care of herself and how she is presented to the world. Anyway, we have that clip, the title card, and then footage of Teal being saged. And she says that she's carrying the responsibility of so much of this mission, but it's also so dependent on the people around her, the people who are most dedicated to her and the mission. And she says that they know her on a very close personal level, and it's like they are her inner circle. Originally, they started as volunteers who wanted to learn from her in exchange for working for her. And I will just put a side note, um, as far as saging goes... Teal is a white woman being saged. I know a lot of white people do this. I have participated participated in it in the past, but um, sage is very integral to a lot of ceremonies and things that happen in indigenous communities. And I've seen a lot of articles from indigenous people saying 
please stop doing this because it's a limited resource and like we need it. It's sacred to us. It's not sacred to you. Please stop using our sage. And so if you are somebody who just finds comfort in kind of the ritual of it, but you don't have those ancestral ties to it, you don't have, you know, this uh, perspective on sage that it is sacred and it's really important to the things that you do in your culture and in your community. I would just recommend it especially not buying it from Amazon, but probably not buying it at all. You can get dried herbs and bundle them together and use them in very much the same way with your intentions and walking through your home and using it to clear energy. That would just be my recommendation because I we should want to respect the indigenous culture and their wishes that we stop buying it because they need it. It's It's part of their culture and what they do and things that are sacred to them. And so again, you don't have to do anything that I'm saying or recommending, but I just wanted to put that out there. Back to the documentary though, Teal straight up tells us people who work for her do not get paid. They work in exchange for uh, learning from her and living in her community. And then we are introduced to several members of her team. There's Tristan, who is an event coordinator who dropped out of college to work for Teal. There's Cyan, who is her product manager. And it's interesting, one of the clips that they show while they're introducing him is him at some kind of event. I don't know if it's networking. I don't know if it's conference, but he's tabling at an event and he's in a suit and he looks very clean cut. His hair is completely different than how we usually see him because he's been in the background of a lot of the footage that we've seen so far. And so I'm like, Teal knows how to market. She knows what she's doing. Obviously, this is some kind of like buttoned up event. And so she sent Cy in there and she said, you put a suit on, you you make sure there's no wrinkles, you look nice so that way people take you seriously. And I don't know, maybe have their corporate offices do retreats or workshops with Teal. That's what my assumption is. Then there's Matthias. We've seen him before. We've met him before. He is her manager and he used to be a tennis coach and manage different tennis players. And Teal called him up one day and was like, I know that you manage tennis players and that's what you do right now. But what do you think about managing me? And he apparently accepted. And now he says his number one goal is to get Teal as big as possible. Last, we meet Gracie, who is Teal's personal assistant, and she says that she has not left Teal's side in the past seven years because she eats, lives, and breathes this process. She also says that when you meet her, you start questioning if she's even human because of the kinds of answers she has. I've thought a lot about this since watching this episode of the documentary, um, because hearing somebody say something like that, it's like my my gut check reaction is, that's unhealthy. That's really just abnormal. I think it's very odd that people would give up making a salary and become completely dependent on this one person just so that they can learn from them to eat, sleep, live, and breathe something. Sounds very obsessive to me, and I don't think that's healthy. And I'm trying to figure out if there's any situation or any kind of person that I could see myself giving like a livelihood up for. Like if I really, I think because because I'm a Christian and so I think about Jesus and Jesus' disciples, how, you know, they gave up their things and they followed him. And so I'm like, it makes me also think of the woman in episode one who said she thought Teal was like Jesus. So she doesn't understand why people don't treat her as such. And I keep like racking my brain to think if I, if I met 
the second coming of Christ? Like, would I recognize it? And would I give up my life to follow that person? People clearly see something in Teal that I don't see. And I think it's because I'm looking at her from an objective place of, I mean, obviously, I have my own opinions, and I'm sharing them. But like, objectively, there are certain things that she says and does that don't add up. And so obviously, I wouldn't perceive Teal in that way. But it's just something that I've been kind of like chewing on in my brain. And so I think that's kind of an interesting thought exercise to engage in yourself. Let me know your thoughts on that down below. Next, we see Teal saying that everyone around her has to have the attitude that they are willing to sacrifice anything for the mission because that is what it takes to go to the altitude she is going to. Again, this control over the people who follow her and the people are closest to her. You have to sacrifice everything for the mission. Not for me, but for the mission, because this mission is so amazing. This mission is so big and noble. And so, yeah, I'm spearheading it, but it's really about the mission. So whatever I ask you to do, you've got to be willing to do it because it's for the mission. Next, we see Juliana arriving at the house. And as a reminder, Juliana is Blake's girlfriend. She is moving from Germany to America to live in the Teal tribe, in the community, and be with Blake, but also with Teal and everyone else who lives there. And so then there's a discussion at the kitchen table with Blake, Juliana, Teal, Matthias, and Gracie. And Teal says she wants to have this conversation because this community functions a lot differently than most intentional communities because she is the one running it. She says that it's not a safe space because of the level of pressure everyone is under all the time and because of the attacks they are constantly receiving. Also that her only safety is this community and she's in the middle and the community forms a circle around her and that is everything to her and that Blake is the person she's closest to. She elaborates that Blake is her safe place and she needs him in her life, but the problem comes when he is with a girl who has a truth that opposes Teal's truth in any way because he acts like a little noodle and then it's about the girl versus Teal. She says she does not want that same dynamic that has happened in the past to happen with Juliana because being in this community is Blake's reality unless he decides to change his mind. Lots going on there. I will acknowledge that Teal does give that caveat. She says, you know, this is Blake's community unless he decides to change his mind. Unless he makes a decision to leave, this is his reality, which is, is true on one level. I get it. They've known each other for so long. They're so close. Teal's son sees Blake as a second dad, which I'm not quite sure how healthy that dynamic is. Uh, but, but anyway, like, especially because Teal and Blake are not together. So for him to have this perspective, you know, I always kind of say, like, you can't have too many people who love your kid. A child can't experience too much love. But I think relationship dynamics are kind of messy and the lines are kind of blurred, which can lead to confusion in the child when you have something like that going on. But anyway, um, so, so I appreciate that she said, you know, unless Blake changes his mind, this is what it is. She's acknowledging that Blake can change his mind. He can leave, but for the time being, this is the life that he's chosen. And so she wants to make sure that Julian is going to fit in. Julian is not going to come and, disrupt what's going on and cause a problem. But on the other hand, I think the relationship between Teal and Blake is very odd. Like we talked about in episode one, Teal says that Blake is the person she ran to when she escaped captivity. 
Blake took her in. He patched her up. He helped her heal. They fell in love, but then they broke up after about a year, and they've been in each other's lives ever since then. So they're very intertwined and intermingled, and he's her head of operations, and they're very close. They're very touchy-feely. Um, so, And I think that T likes having this kind of ownership over Blake. Blake's the one who helped her heal, but now Teal's in charge. Teal has the power, and I think she likes Blake being alone and not being involved with another woman because, one, there's that, like, jealousy element and, like, the threatening of the status quo and how her relationship is with Blake. But then also, if Blake's not focused on another girl and being influenced by somebody outside of the Teal tribe, even though this Juliana is a follower of Teal's, then Teal can continue to have Blake do whatever she wants him to do. But after Teal says this, Juliana does her best to assure Teal that she's not here to come up against her. She says, like, I met Blake because I'm a follower of Teal, and so she wants to be a part of this, and she wouldn't expect anything else. She wouldn't expect the dynamic to be anything else because she knows how important Teal is to Blake and how important Teal's teachings are. And so then Teal responds by telling Juliana that, you know, this community, everybody who works for her, they're terrified of getting attached to another person and having it go south again. But being in community with them means a lot of intense things. And then Gracie shares that they've had a lot of people turn on them on the Teal tribe because when they come to live in the community, they expect Teal's personality to be a lot different than it is. And Teal says she's never going to be like, oh, let's just chill. There is no chill. That scene ends, and then we see Juliana and Blake having a conversation about how they feel that the meeting went. They both say that it was really intense, but they feel good. And then there's a montage of Juliana and Blake spending time together, doing things alone, you know, being romantic and lovey. And Juliana is talking about how uh, when most people enter a partnership, it's just with one person, but she knows that this is a community. And so she needs to make sure that she gets along with everyone, and she's just trying to find her heart tribe and her soul tribe and she later tells Blake that Americans are kind of crazy to which he agrees but then he says that Juliana is also kind of crazy for coming out here and joining them which I think is foreshadowing for things to come but next we see Teal standing outside uh like on a balcony overlooking the property and the way it's shot it's meant to look like Teal is like watching Blake and Juliana as they're outside walking on the bike path and she looks like if you're listening to this um what's what's the expression I would use angry but also kind of like an evil queen watching the princess that she's trying to kill having a good time and falling in love. She just looks very intense and like she hates watching what's going on. I don't even know if in reality she was looking at them, but the way it's shot, it's meant to convey that Teal is overlooking Juliana and Blake's interactions and not approving of them. Teal also does a voiceover where she says that Juliana has no idea what they do like in the Teal tribe. And she says that Juliana got interested and came for a training, but she doesn't feel like Juliana got a real taste of what she's signing up for, which is scary. And again, this sounds ominous, but it can be explained a way of like, hey, healing is really intense work. We do a lot here. It's not just like a fun time giggling around being in love. We have work to do, but it's also kind of just like, how intense can it be? Like how intense does it have to be 
to live there. What is the control like? It makes you question what all goes into being part of Teal's inner circle. Next, we see Teal appearing as a guest on a podcast and the host asks Teal to introduce herself and explain her philosophy. And Teal shares that she's an expert in human suffering. The host asks why people say she's a cult leader. And she says because uh, people know that it will scare other people off of her. And that cults have a foundation in control. And then the host asks if cult leaders start out with ill intent. And Teal says that she doesn't think they do, but most people who evolve into cult leadership aren't really looking at their own shadow. Then she's asked about a lot of the negative press that she's receiving, which, again, we saw some of it in the montage at the end of the first episode of people calling her a suicide catalyst, saying she's irresponsible, um, saying that she's causing harm to people, stuff like that, because Teal does receive a lot of that criticism. I think that's partly why the documentary was made is because she was getting all of these things said about her in the media and on like social media platforms. And so the host asks her about it and Teal says, quote, so like, here's the thing. I've been on the opposite end of the scale where people saying whatever they want to say about me has done so much damage to my career. And one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was to ignore it, end quote. So yeah, with the seriousness of the allegations being leveled against Teal, I think that's kind of something that you have to address. It's not just like, Teal is mean or Teal didn't help me or uh, like I, I didn't find the retreat helpful and Teal wouldn't refund my money. They're not making allegations quite like that. I mean, there are some people who are saying things of that nature, but really the main concern is that she's dangerous and she's causing harm and she's implanting the idea in people that they're there's nothing bad that can come out of dying by suicide, that it's just a reset button. And so I think we do need to address that. I don't think that's something you can kind of brush under the rug. Next, we see Blake listening to a podcast, and it's it's from The Gateway. I don't know why Freeform didn't credit who it was. I feel like there's a lot of things that they leave the context out of or the credit out of that if you aren't super familiar with Teal, you wouldn't know about them. Um, but yeah, Blake's listening to The Gateway, and I know that because I've also listened to the entire podcast. And... Uh, uh, you know, the snippet of the podcast he was listening to was just talking about the public perception of Teal. And then Blake gets a phone call and it's the police. And so Blake's talking to the officer or the detective and he says that um, there's one woman who has sent them hundreds of emails threatening them and telling them that they need to pay her back for the training she took and that they have no idea what's coming their way. And so the officer says he'll look into her. And from the way the conversation goes, it sounds like this officer or detective is really familiar with Blake and like this sort of thing kind of happens pretty frequently because there wasn't, I mean, we didn't see any additional questions. It just sounded like, okay, yeah, I'll look into her. Like it sounded like this kind of thing had happened before. And so Blake says to the camera that they get hate messages and threats pretty often. And then he reads an excerpt of one where uh, the person says you need to get executed, which is very intense. I don't think is an appropriate thing to say, but I am trying to have empathy for the people who have left the Teal tribe and how hurt they must be because Teal has damaged their lives and she has hurt them. And so while I don't agree with saying something like that, I can kind of understand why somebody would be so hurt and angry that they would say something like that. 
Next, we see Teal, Matthias, Blake, and Juliana all having a conversation together about how frustrated she is with some of the allegations that are being thrown at her. Uh, Teal says she feels powerless and that these accusations are preventing her from making the kind of money she needs in order to fight said allegations. And she says, quote, what I didn't understand that people thought it would be possible that entertaining the concept of suicide would cause people to commit suicide, end quote. Now, I watched a psychology in Seattle video with Dr. Kirk Honda. If I can find the exact one, I'll link it down below, where he says that um, doing that sort of thing, like visualizing it, talking it out, saying like, well, here's what would happen if I did do this isn't always a harmful thing. He said most people, when they do that, they realize that, you know, dying wouldn't really solve their problems. And so you kind of say, okay, we've explored that. Now let's talk about how we can make things better. Like now that we've gotten that visualization out of the way, how do we move forward? And so that's kind of the difference between a professional who's approaching somebody who is suicidal and Teal just putting a video out there that says, Hey, it's like a reset button. You know, maybe you're going to make the choice to live, but you really can't sit on the fence. You got to decide. And if you decide to die by suicide, it's it's a reset. And so even if you put it off for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, you can always go back and do that. I've seen people say that it was helpful to them to approach whether or not to die by suicide in that manner with the with the concept of like, well, I can always just go and do it at a later date. Again, I would I would just say that like it's a tragedy when somebody dies by suicide and I don't think we should be having such a casual cavalier outlook on it. I don't think it's safe for Teal to just put that kind of video out there without knowing somebody's mind frame. Like she says that she didn't think it would be possible that entertaining the concept of suicide would cause people to commit suicide if that's really how she feels she's even more out of her depth than i could have ever possibly imagined because you don't know what somebody's going through you don't know their mental state you don't know what they're doing you don't know exactly where they're at and what kind of impact your video can have on them and so that's why it's so dangerous that's why this shouldn't just be out here unregulated you just don't know those things and you have to, if you're going to be talking about such serious topics, you have to at least consider that. You have to at least think, could this potentially have a negative impact on somebody? Could this lead to somebody losing their life? But even if Teal asked that question to herself, I don't think it would change her mind because she said to reset button, if you're not going to fully commit to life, just kill yourself. Like she has said those things, like I said in my past video, there are certain elements of what Teal does that I say, ah, I can see how that would be helpful. I can see how that would be reasonable. But this is just one thing that I'd, I find indefensible. I am going to get angry and I'm going to get pissed off and I'm going to just think about like how tragic it is that Teal can just throw something out there that might cause somebody to do something that they can't take back. I'm going to 
link the suicide hotline in the description box below and I'm going to see if I can find some other like international resources to link as well because if you're struggling with this first and foremost I hope you are doing okay listening to this video and I hope that nothing I've said has negatively impacted you but if you're struggling and you just you need somebody to talk to or you need some help I'm going to put some resources in the description box below because it can get better you're valuable and you are important and you are worthy and things can get better no matter how dark and overwhelming they feel right now. In that same scene where Tila's having the conversation where she's lamenting over the allegations leveled against her, she wonders out loud if she's at the point where she needs to marry a multi-billionaire in order to have the resources guaranteed that she needs. It's kind of awkward when she says that and nobody really knows what to say in response. But Matthias says that uh, Castile's like, why are you guys so silent? Do you not feel as powerless as me? And Matthias is like, yeah, you know, there is some powerlessness, but he always looks for more options. And then he explains to the camera that they've hired a third party investigator to address the allegations against Teal and people giving her the nickname the suicide catalyst and so Blake and Matthias meet with this PI Molly over Zoom and they just kind of explain to her what's going on and then we see Molly being interviewed by the film crew and she says that she misses the days of newscasting from the 50s when media outlets weren't driven by profit and you could count on them to have credibility and so we see her start her investigation. She's watching one of Teal's videos about committing suicide. And she interviews the president of the American Association of Suicidology. And he says that he does get a lot of the complaints about Teal. And he says, quote, saying visualize your suicide to a video, not knowing what the emotional state is of the person on the other side who's watching it. That is problematic because there is no way of knowing that that's actually going to work out. There's no quality control there, and I don't think it's defensible in a public forum, end quote. But he does later go on to say that because there's only three people that we know of who have died by suicide out of Teal's millions of followers, you would be hard-pressed to definitively say that they did it because of Teal. And Molly goes on to interview several people who, again, are presented without context. I don't know if they're doing this for mystery or they just didn't think people would want to know that information, but they're presented without context. They appear to be followers of Teal and they say that they don't believe her videos are dangerous, that the videos have helped each of them, um, and that they really think that Teal is trying to help people. And we hear the story of one woman who, not the whole story, but a little bit, about how she was going from like therapist to therapist to therapist and her health care wasn't super reliable and she ended up losing her health care and so she couldn't go to therapists anymore and even when she could afford to go she was having bad experiences because she couldn't afford to stay with one therapist and so um, like she had those negative experiences with the regulated health care system and then she found Teal and Teal has helped her. It's important to understand that that happens. There's it's this like personal development and like treatment of mental health by unlicensed practitioners isn't just a teal problem. Teal is not the only person contributing to this issue, especially in America. Our healthcare system is abysmal. Like it just, it is, it's for profit. It's a profit driven industry. And so it's important to talk about people who have tried to go to licensed therapists, who have tried to get professional help and they weren't able to because of money or time or availability. We, we do need to also consider that. So we see Molly interviewing those people over Zoom. And then we get our first glimpse into the story of a woman named Leslie. 
Molly's on the phone with somebody and she says, quote, they're claiming that Teal was responsible for Leslie's demise, end quote. And the man on the other end says that that's complete nonsense. He goes on to say, quote, there's nothing I wouldn't do to help Teal and defend her and how adamant I am about her innocence here, end quote. They don't give any additional information about Leslie, her story, or who the man is on the other end of that line. But based on my knowledge, I believe it is my opinion that Molly is talking to Leslie's husband. Leslie Wainsgard is a former follower of Teal's who died by suicide. Leslie and her husband were some of Teal's very first supporters, and it seems that the decision to kind of follow Teal and be so intertwined with her was largely led by this husband. He said he felt an attraction to her immediately, and like, how could you not, and XYZ and all that, but um, obviously at some point, things went south. Leslie was struggling with a lot of different things in her life before she met Teal, and she continued to struggle with them after meeting Teal. And while I don't think it's uh, legally appropriate for me to say that Teal influenced Leslie's death, I do think there are some things that Teal said to Leslie that did not help. And again, Leslie eventually died by suicide. Despite this, Leslie's husband is still just an avid supporter of Teal. He he doesn't have a bad word to say about her, and he said that she had no impact on Leslie's actions. I disagree with this, and I find it distasteful to say the least that he is still defending Teal, but we're going to get more into Leslie's story later, and we'll hear a lot more details as the documentary goes on. So we see Molly continue to do some investigating, some interviews, stuff like that, and then she is talking to the camera, and she says that it seems one of the criteria for somebody being a target for allegations and like hate and stuff like that is simply being attractive, which again... Teal is. Teal's a a beautiful girl, and so she kind of gives the impression that, like, oh, people just hate Teal because she's pretty. Hey, look, that's that's where she's at at the investigation now. So she goes on to say that it's pretty hard to see very many of these accusations being able to stick when you actually start talking to these folks, but she is going to find the truth. Next, we see Blake and Juliana spending some alone time together, and he starts telling her this story about how he met a girl during a completion process session and how they went down to the hot springs and he floated her around, and then they went back to the office where he gave her a massage and maybe crossed the line between practitioner and participant. And obviously, while he's telling her this story, he is talking about himself and Juliana. They're laughing about it and it's supposed to be a cute moment. It creeps me out because it's showing right here that this work that they're doing, while there should be a code of ethics and there should be a code of conduct, there isn't. And if there is, it's not being enforced. And that's not to say that a relationship like this never has or never could come from, you know, a regulated space. Like, that's not to say that a therapist and a client have never had an inappropriate relationship before. It's absolutely happened. But this is just another example of how dangerous Teal's world can be and the work that she does and the business, essentially, that she has created can be because Blake and Juliana met. He was a practitioner, she was a participant, and 
they crossed a line there that should not have been crossed. I think it might be different if Juliana was a follower of Teal's and Blake wasn't doing that completion process to her. Like they just met at a retreat. She was, you know, getting her healing from somebody else. Yeah, that that's different. Next, there's a montage of Teal and her inner circle spending a day together. They're doing things outdoors. They're swimming. They're having a good time. And in voiceover, we hear Blake say that Juliana is the first girl he's ever committed to, so he hopes that she fits in. But then we hear Teal say that Juliana is so new. She's like a stone with all of these rough edges. And depending on what happens, they can be smoothed out. So it's a frictionless relationship or it becomes a problem and they haven't had enough time to do that with her so that they are polished stones rubbing up against each other. Then we see Teal leading like a meditation healing session outside with some of her followers who have come to a retreat and we are introduced to Amir who says that he likes to try out all kinds of different spiritual events and uh, basically says that he's seeking a community and he kind of feels like this experience is over his head but we later find out that this is at least his second time at a retreat hosted by Teal. And he says the first time he came, he thought it was a cult, but he wants love in his life and he wants community and he doesn't quite know what that looks like yet. Then we see a conversation between Teal and Amir and she's asking him what he needs in order to feel resolved. And they show the conversation for like a minute and a half, two minutes, and it all just sounds very disjointed. It's really hard to follow what Amir's saying. It's kind of like he starts a thought and he gets halfway through it and then he switches to something else. And Teal says that Amir's problem, she says this to him, is that he has no cohesive thought when he's expressing himself. And he says uh, that he feels like that's an interesting point, but that his life is going well. And she asks if that's the case, then why is he here? Why is he in front of her? And Amir says that maybe it's just a sexual thing and that maybe he has a crush on her. And Teal says if that's the case, they have a problem. Then we see Teal inside talking to her team, kind of having a freak out moment saying, you know, I effing hate this field. I hate this field. I hate the spiritual field. You know, she's panicking a little bit about what Amir said and she ends up calling Blake and she speculates that maybe this is her using her sexuality in a demonic way to attract people, but she wants Blake to have a conversation with him. And while Teal's on the phone with Blake saying, I would appreciate if you would talk to him, they pan over to Juliana, who at that same time, like when she hears Teal say that, she just kind of gets this smile on her face and a nod. And you just kind of can hear the inner dialogue of like, yeah, that's my man. Like, he's going to go get him. He's going to protect Teal, which... I thought was cute. But the real focus of this part of the episode is that this is something that somebody who was formally trained as like a therapist or a psychologist or even a doctor would probably understand. They would understand that this is a risk and it can happen. And so coming from Teal, I completely understand her feeling violated by him saying that. I understand her being like, what the heck? Why would you come here? Why would you say that to me? You would just say, oh, I'm sexually attracted to you. That's disgusting. That's the only reason you're here. I'm so sick of being objectified like this. Like I could, I 100% empathize with the way that Teal is feeling in that instance. However, as a healer, she has to understand that sometimes people who you are healing 
will start to feel sexual attraction to you or will start to feel like they are romantically attracted to you. And it's a normal thing that happens. That doesn't mean that it's appropriate to act on it or that those feelings are indicative of like somebody wanting to, you know, form a relationship with you and be with you for the rest of their life. But it's just something that can happen when you are helping somebody heal through something. And so, um, again, if she had some sort of like formal training, she would understand that this is a risk and she would know the approach that she needs to take to uh, make sure that they can work through it and they can maintain healthy boundaries while she is still healing him. Or I'm, I'm sure she could determine if, um, you know, like he doesn't, he's not really interested in help and he is just there for sexual gratification or to try and sleep with Teal because then she could also draw appropriate boundaries and make a good decision instead of not really knowing what to do with what he said. So they're going through this conversation, Teal and the team members that are there, and Matthias, her manager, wants to know if there's any chance to help Amir. But Teal says that it's a red zone case and Amir will rip the sh out of any member of her team who tries to help him. However, after she says this, we then see Teal and her team working with Amir. So Amir is talking about his past. He says that his mom attempted suicide several times until one day she did actually die by suicide. And then Teal asks if he would be willing to interact with her if she brought his mom here spiritually. And he says yes. So we see Teal kind of getting prepared to do this channeling ceremony to channel the spirit of Amir's mom. And she's explaining how dangerous it can be. And then Teal tells Juliana that she wants to stretch her in with this. And Juliana says that she knew the choice to come to the community wasn't just about having a relationship with Blake, that she needs to establish a good relationship with Teal and committing to her. So she wants to make it work. And then we see that Juliana is actually going to be the one channeling Amir's mom. So for those of you not familiar how they channel this person is, you know, they do the ceremony and they use a human essentially as a vessel for somebody else's spirit. Whether or not you believe this can actually be done, totally up to you. Um, I, I would say I'm open to it, but I'm skeptical about doing it in like healthy and safe ways. And I, it's kind of like for me, a Ouija board, like I will not ever touch a Ouija board because I do think that they work and I don't know enough about like closing doors and closing portals to make sure that I'm doing it in a safe way and not like being followed home by a demon, right? So I, I in my head, I'm like, I could see this as being a possibility of something that could happen, but I am still a little bit skeptical. So I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know if Juliana actually believes that she channeled Amir's mom. I don't know if like that actually physically happened, if she was pretending that it happened, if she, you know, convinced herself that it happened and she just started saying things she thought that his mom would say based on what she had learned about him. I have no idea. But so, 
in the documentary, it is presented as Juliana channeling Amir's mom, and it's very emotional. And then Teal says that Amir's mom hasn't fully passed on yet, so if he has anything he wants to say to her, he should do it now. And then he also needs to encourage her to cross over to the other side. So he needs to let her know that she is released, and he has a conversation with her, you know, through Juliana. And after the conversation, Juliana falls over, like, onto Teal, and Teal's kind of, like, holding her and rubbing her head. And then Teal says that Amir's mom has passed to the other side. After this, Juliana, Teal, and Blake are having a conversation about how it went, and Juliana says she wasn't expecting it to be that intense, but she also feels very energized, and she wasn't expecting to be that good at it. And Teal compliments her by saying she's a lot better at it than a lot of the people on her team are. And so for me, when they say I wasn't expecting to be that good at it, and you are a lot better at it than a lot of people on my team, for me, I'm like, oh, they're talking about how they faked it. That's just the first thought that popped into my head is them saying it as opposed to, you know, I didn't think I would be so good at channeling or I didn't think I would be able to bring her in so easily, right? People choose the way they say things for a million different reasons, but them using the word it immediately made me think like that it's an open secret kind of with them, uh, but they're not going to say it on camera that, you know, you just kind of fake it till you make it, right? Who knows? Next, we hear Juliana doing a voiceover where she says Teal is like a big sister to her and that Teal has changed her mind completely about how you can approach healing and that this place feels like her home. And then we see everyone at the retreat around a fire outside together and Teal actually gives a nice little speech to them. Um, It's a little bit odd because she says that she sees everybody there as her little army, but She says that they are the kinds of people who will go out and change the world instead of expecting the world to change for them. And they are the kind of people who can turn life's cyanide into honey. So she's saying nice things to the people there. I appreciate that. Then we see Blake, Juliana, and some friends playing Cards Against Humanity. And Blake's talking in a voiceover about how he didn't know if Juliana would fit in because to make this work, you have to choose Teal's mission to be your mission Uh, But he never could have imagined what his life would become, and he feels so good about everything, quote, in a way, end quote. Him adding in a way kind of indicates to me that while, yes, he feels good about things, maybe he has some doubts or concerns about how things are going to be going forward or how long the goodness can last, but that's just my perception of how he phrased it. Then we go back to Molly, and Molly is interviewing Jared who is a former member of the Teal tribe. Now, about two years ago, Jared was interviewed on the Mormon Stories podcast. There's a multiple part series that they did with Jared. And in this interview, in the deep end, he sounds a lot calmer and a lot more coherent than he sounded in those interviews with the Mormon Stories podcast. In this snippet that we see of him while Molly, the PI, is interviewing him, he actually sounds very coherent and very cohesive, which 
is amazing and I'm very happy for him that he appears to be doing a lot better. So Jared's, you know, telling his story and he says that he met Teal in 2012 and that she had this mission to change the world. So he moved in with her and helped her set up her website so she could sell her frequency paintings. So again, 2012, that's when Jared and Teal met and that is also when Teal founded the company Teal Eye. And, um, you know, like you said, he set up the website to help sell Teal's frequency paintings. And Molly asks if the frequency paintings were actually helpful. And Jared says that uh, he had been staring at several of them that he bought in his room for years and they did not work. He then shares more about his experience, saying that he was given room and board, but he was not paid for his services. And Molly wants to know if Jared's heard anything about anybody being sort of ostracized after they stop following Teal or they try to leave the Teal tribe. And he says that his exit was not very nice because the second the camera turns off or the second she goes behind closed doors, she would unleash. And then um, he said that as he was officially leaving, it felt like everyone was ganging up on him. And he claims the last thing that Teal said to him was, quote, if I were you, I would just go kill myself because there is no hope for you, end quote. So, of course, that's Jared's side of the story. And if I'm giving you my opinion, I believe it. I, I completely believe that Teal would say something like that to somebody who she thought, like, she had total control over. And then when he decides, I can't do this anymore, like, I can't be a part of this, and she realizes she's losing control, she's gonna say the most vicious thing to make it feel like he's leaving because he's a failure, because he hasn't fully committed to the mission or whatever it is. She's gonna say the nastiest, meanest thing she can think of to another human being and telling someone to kill themselves is like the worst of the worst. There are very few things worse than telling somebody that in my opinion. And this story further illustrates why the accusation of cult leader is leveled against Teal because when you're part of a cult and you decide to leave, the people in charge are going to do whatever they can to stop you from leaving. And if they're not successful at changing your mind, it's not going to be good. It's going to be hard. They're going to gang up on you like Jared says he was ganged up on. They're going to be bullied. They're going to be potentially harassed. People are going to say disgusting, vile things to them. And that's the experience of a lot of people who have stopped following Teal. Some of them say they left and nothing happened. Like, it, it just is whatever. But a lot of people have had that experience. And I think for people who are just kind of like casual members of the Facebook group, maybe you went to one of her live events, maybe you bought a book, but you're not really entrenched in the mission. Yeah, you can probably just quietly back out of the room and it's going to be fine. But when you are somebody who is deeply connected, it's going to be a lot harder. And I think that the people who were more deeply connected are the ones who had those really negative experiences when they were deciding to leave. So then we see Jared being interviewed by the documentary filmmakers. And he says that when he was part of the Teal tribe, Teal would always say things like, you're going to give up on the mission. You're going to leave me. You're not going to stay here. Like you're not fully committed, all that kind of stuff. And he would always try to reiterate how committed he was to her. And he said that one time she asked him what he would be willing to do for this cause. And he said that he would be willing to kill somebody and bury them in the backyard. And then after Jared tells us this, he's just kind of like, like he like just bristles and looks 
almost surprised at himself or just kind of dismayed that that's the kind of commitment he used to have to Teal. That that's the kind of thing that he would say. And if I had to guess, at that time when he said it, he probably did mean it. It doesn't mean he would like go through with it. I would hope not. But like, I believe that at the time he said that, he perceived it to be a true statement. That that's how far he would be willing to go for the cause. And then Molly is being interviewed again and she says that it feels like a burden that she's unearthed this information because now she knows she has to include it and it feels like a Pandora's box that you wish you had left closed but now that it's here, it's here. I get it. It's overwhelming. It's a lot. You know, we see that when she first starts investigating, it seems like, yeah, there's maybe some concerns, but nothing that we can really like pin down on Teal or say that she's solely responsible for, stuff like that. But then as you find more out, it's like, oh, shoot, that's a lot. I can understand it being overwhelming, but I feel like she should be happy that she found this stuff because if she's responsible, like she explained in the beginning, for putting together this, this third party independent investigation. And the purpose of it is for when somebody comes to the Teal tribe and they say, well, I heard X, Y, Z, or I have this concern. They can say, here's this report. It was independently conducted. It's showing you that there is no truth in all of those wild rumors and accusations. We didn't edit this. Here you go. Here's the truth. And it's meant to, you know, provide the truth. It's meant to be an honest compilation of the things that this PI found. And so I would think that she would be happy that she found that because wouldn't she face some level of at least, you know, inner guilt if she handed over a third party report and said, yep, everything's kosher here. Everything is safe and fine and healthy. And then she later found out it wasn't like, wouldn't that be worse than opening this Pandora's box? That's just my thought. Next, we have a creepy scene that made me cringe and audibly groan. But Teal and Blake are in a bedroom together, sitting on the bed together, like very close to each other. At one point, he's rubbing her thigh. And Teal asks where Blake is at with Juliana because it's been so much time since she and Blake have had a chance to really connect. And he says that he's thinking about asking Juliana to marry him in two weeks. And Teal's response is kind of surprising. And this is kind of what I was talking about at the beginning, because like I said, you know, she gave the um, positive speech to her followers. She brought Juliana in to do the channeling. She's trying to include her. And then in this conversation, like when Blake says he wants to have Juliana marry him in two weeks, instead of freaking out about the business or the mission or Blake, you're getting distracted. What are you doing? She like jokes with him and gives him a hard time about how that doesn't leave them much time to get rings. And she asks if Blake wants her help with that. And he says yes. And he gives her a big hug. She's laying back on the bed and then Blake is in front of her facing her. And so she's laying on pillows and he like gets on top of her to give her this really just like intimate hug and ugh. And she asks him how he feels about the saga of him having feelings towards her is coming to an end. And he says that he still thinks she is sexy as hell. But then they have a conversation about how Teal has been watching Juliana. And she notices that Juliana doesn't react much when uh, Blake and Teal like touch each other in these intimate ways. And I'm not saying like sexual. I'm just saying like, you know laying on top of somebody hugging them is a very intimate thing to do rubbing somebody's thigh 
you don't just do that with your buddies, right? Like you have to have a, a very close and trusting relationship for that kind of touch to be okay. And so uh, they're talking about like Juliana doesn't react when Blake and Teal touch each other like this. And that's a good thing. And Teal's been watching Juliana to see if she would react. And because she hasn't and she hasn't like brought it up or said anything negative about it, that's a good thing. And now Teal thinks that Juliana's a good fit. And they're both just really excited for Blake to propose. Moving on, last few scenes are a montage of Juliana, uh, Teal, and Gracie. Teal's assistant, swimming together, going wedding dress shopping, going to the salt flats to engage in some sort of offering, having a great time, getting super close. And then we see Juliana and Blake's wedding. Like, that's how quickly this thing is happening. They do the ceremony. Juliana and Blake have their first dance. And the very last shot is Teal just looking straight forward in a very pensive fashion and she kind of puts her hands together and just like drops her head onto her fingers and stares cut to credits man oh man was that one a whirlwind towards the end like i said i got a much more positive visual view of teal in this episode because that's how they were presenting her they were presenting her doing nice things and being kind and saying like you know i want juliana to fit in i hope that you know even though she's new and it's kind of scary i want her to be able to smooth some of those rough edges out so that way we can rub together like polished stones but it is really interesting to see that compared with all of these negative things that are being found out about her that the pi is finding that other people are saying um, just just stuff like that is super interesting to see kind of the flip. And I think episode three is where it's going to get even more intense. I'm like mentally preparing myself to watch it because I just feel like this is episode three. It's a four part series. Episode three is when we're going to start to see some real fallout because we've gotten hints and glimpses that you know, Teal presents herself in one way, but behind closed doors, maybe she's another. She seems to be very controlling. She never wanted to be in the spiritual field, but, you know, for some reason, that was her natural gift, and so that's where she ended up. But it's very clear that, like, profit matters a lot to her and protecting the business, which, you know, understandable that protecting your business would mean a lot to you no matter what business you're in. But she's not willing to maybe admit that she's done something wrong. It's everybody who's trying to attack her and tear her down. And it's it's not that she did or said anything bad because everyone else is just taking it wrong, right? So uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I feel like Blake and Teal's relationship is really going to be tested in the next episode. But those are my thoughts on episode two. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. If you are watching this on YouTube, let me know all your thoughts in the comment section down below. And if you are listening on Spotify, there will be the Q&A section where I'm going to ask you a question about the episode and you can share your opinion. And uh, while you guys are doing that, if you would consider liking this video, subscribing to my YouTube channel, or leaving a review on Spotify. I would really appreciate it. And if you have done those things already, thank you so much. I am so appreciative of you, and I love being able to just sit here, hang out with you, and talk about whatever. Thank you again so much for watching. Please be kind to people, and I will see you in the next one. Bye.